Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Earl Grey. I'm Sam Wan and every week I sit down with everyday people and chat about everyday things with a cup of tea. Today I'm with Reese Holton from Melbourne, Victoria, who was a high school teacher and now a ministry apprentice. We chat about friendship, what it means to be a good friend, and the trickiness that COVID has made friendships now. So sit back and grab yourself a cuppa and listen to Conversations with Earl Grey. Hey everyone, uh, today we have with us Reese Holton. How are you going, Reese? Yeah, I'm going good for being in isolation. Yeah, and you're all the way down in um, sunny Melbourne, uh, where is it pretty cold down there? Because it's pretty cold up here in Sydney at the moment. Yeah, it's definitely not sunny Melbourne today. It's been miserable for the last couple of days. Oh, wow, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know a little bit about you. You're in Melbourne. Uh, you're studying at Monash University. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, you're close. I'm in Melbourne, but I, I did study at Latrobe University. Latrobe, sorry. <laughs> um, so I studied biological sciences originally, uh, and then I had a little change of heart and went mm. into teaching yep. and worked as a science teacher the last couple of years. Wow. And how was, how was that? Were you working in a public school? Um, I did some placements in public schools, but then I got a job at a private school. Yeah. At a private Christian school? Yeah, private Christian school. How was your experience of teaching there? Oh, I loved it. Um, I thought the, the kids and the staff were just so welcoming and lovely, and it definitely made the first couple of years of teaching so much. Were there any hurdles or challenges in that period of being uh, in, in a Christian school? Oh, yeah. Um, and I worked at a couple of Christian schools. So one of them was probably... Um, probably a, a quite a low socioeconomic um, Christian school, and they they had lots of kids who weren't Christian, um, and that was that was really, really quite challenging mm. during that. Did time. it resonate with you, or what was so challenging about it? Um, I think, like I actually went to a public school um, all my life, um, but being in the position uh, of teacher with kids who clearly knew their place in society and knew that they, they didn't want to go to uni. They didn't want to be learning. They just, they just wanted to be hanging with their friends and trying to get students to, you know, think about, think about fractions when their family life was breaking down was just so challenging. Yeah. I remember when I was uh, teaching in a public school, it completely flipped my world around because, um, uh, it was in a social, low social economic area, and I always had the dream of going to university and getting a job. And then suddenly, I was teaching these kids who didn't really want to learn because, um, what's that got to do with their lives? They're dealing mm. with being refugees. They're dealing with a lot of uh, domestic issues. Um, did mm. that really kind of just turn your world around? Well, like I said, I grew up in a public school, yeah. so like, <laughs> and it, in a low social right, area right, as well. Yeah. So, I think it was it was such such a flip being 
feeling the responsibility yeah. of that. How did that change your way of teaching? Was it science? Um, so I, it was only for um, about a term and I was just teaching maths. It was one of the first jobs I ever had. So like I had barely any background behind me. I, I hadn't, I wasn't able to find my feet. So it was, it was literally just trying to work day to day and try and relate to the kids and form some relationships. Um, but I did change by the end, um, because they were so distrustful of this new person. Um, so I did see the building of relationships and being absolutely clear that I wanted something for these kids that other than simply getting a good result yeah. on the math test. And there, there was a bunch of those I taught in year 11 who had definitely finished school now. And um, yeah, I really hope that they, they ended up <laughs> okay. question. I've been trying to think about this for a long time um, because I think growing up, um, friendships for me were simply just, you know, people that I felt comfortable with, who I could just have a, have a bit of, bit of fun with. I don't think I really trusted many people or invested heavily in, in people. Um, but that did change a lot during my time at uni. Um, and so now I see my, my friends and the building of friendships more of a, I guess maybe people would like the term family. They're, they're these people Mm. that are so, so integrated into every part of my life. What, what changed at uni that led you to see friendship as family? Um, I think there was a, there is a very big realization that I, I hadn't put relationships as a priority and that actually did make me feel quite empty and lonely. And, um, I definitely Mm. saw the impact of having those just very superficial connections. Hmm. And I guess, why particularly use the term family? Why, why not another word? Why family? Um, I think I like the term family because it speaks volumes and it's probably one of the last structures we, we have in our society that speaks of lifetime commitment and accountability. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, lifetime commitment and accountability. So would you say that there are certain friends that you hopefully will be friends for life? Yeah, and I guess that's that's the tricky part because um I can want that, <laughs> but that's yeah. very that's very hard hard to get and and I wish for yeah. that, but that's because it's such a reciprocal thing, isn't yeah. it? Because you can see it as family, but they could see it as an acquaintance or as as mere um, 
a passerby in someone's mm. life. And I think that's where a lot of anxiety and, and fear and risk, I think, comes into relationships now, especially at my stage of life where, you know, I'm a, kind of a young professional. Most of my friends are just started work. They're figuring out their own romantic relationships, moving to places. So everything does feel up in the air. So we're talking about the idea of courage and friendship because friendship is such a reciprocal thing. It does take a lot of courage to, uh, in many aspects of friendship, when you start a friendship, it takes a courage to see and test the waters and see whether it works. But also it takes courage to say, um, to tell a friend that they're doing something that's harmful or unhelpful when they don't see it as harmful or unhelpful. And it takes courage to forgive friends. How have you seen courage uh, displayed in friendships in your life? Yeah, that's 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 tricky because, um, like I said, I, I think I kept a lot of friendships at a distance. And only when I did start trying to invest in people that I did realise that the stakes personally do feel so high because if... If I have, and I have in the past tried to confront friends um, with things that I think mm. are really damaging to them and other people, and that has really hurt them, and they've then wanted to hurt me, and that that feels like some of the worst um, things that mm. I've experienced. Was it hard to pluck up courage to do that? Oh, yeah. Like, I think... I remember one instance where I wrote out what I wanted to say to one of my friends about three or four times before before I eventually talked to them. And I remember changing everything about what I was saying each time. And that was like weeks of build-up. Yeah. And, yeah. and how would you describe courage in that time then? I think it... I think it felt like... Um, it was definitely trying to love with enormous risk of not being loved back. Mm. You would need to have a huge heart for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, which does feel hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in a day and age, I guess, where friendship can be very cheap in a in a society which sometimes sees friendship in a very, um, what would you call it, a utilitarian perspective where friends are there for a particular reason uh, rather than friends being there uh, for a deeper value. How do you see a deep friendship uh, in your life? Do you have any examples of a deep friendship and what that looks like? Um, well, for me, one of the biggest things I think I've realized that I value is trust and trust that they will love me when I'm vulnerable. Mm. Um, so there is a couple of people who I know that I can probably tell anything to and they're not going to freak out. They're going to, they're going to sit with me and this, they're not going to leave. They're not going to, they're not going to just gossip behind my back. Yeah. Um, 
and they're going to tell me the truth. I really value them being honest with me. Yeah. I remember I have a friend who I was going through a really tricky time and I was really questioning our friendship and he kept saying, you know what, Sam, I'm not going to let go of this friendship. Um... And that actually, I think, takes a lot of courage for him because I could easily have let go of that friendship. And that meant it it would have been a great um, hurt for him. But he kept reminding me that, yeah, we're, we're still friends and I'm not going to let go despite the ugliness that you might show. So tell me more about these friendships of deep friendships you have. What do you uh, look in them, look to for a deep friendship? And how do you cultivate deep friendship yourself? Yeah, big questions. Um, And I think I'm still figuring this out because there's a sense in which the reciprocation of friendships is so hard to expect. And so, and I find it difficult to trust because, again, I I don't want to be hurt and that courage to put yourself out there in a in a friendship, um, yeah, does does take its toll. Yeah, yeah. And how have you been faring with friendships in this COVID and slightly moving into a post COVID season? Has been has it been a tricky time? Um, actually, I think I found it helpful having this space to think because I am such a person that gets lost in my work and I can just want to be distracted from thinking. Yeah. And so the initial parts of this lockdown were a bit difficult and feeling that loneliness was quite sharp and strong. But I have really appreciated this time to really think about what I'm doing and um, have some slower conversations with with my friends and talk things through without having that rush of life. Yeah, yeah. I love how you're talking about having that slower time with friendship because it, do, it does seem when we are busy, um, I kind of have this thing where I have one hour slots for people. Um, back when I was at university because university time ran at one hour slots. Mm. Um, but then when, when COVID season or happened, it just slowly, um, it was okay to have short conversations of 20 minutes, but it was also okay to be on zoom. And, um, some of my friends do craft noon together <laughs> on uh, 4.30 every Tuesday. And we hardly ever talk, but we just spend time and just craft together. Um, some people knit, some people crochet, and I just sit there laminating my books, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is very soothing. Um, but I love that idea of slowness. Yeah. How has that slowness enriched your relationships? Um, I think it's been a hard lesson to learn 
because I'm just such an impatient person. <laughs> I want I want the job done yesterday, and I think I've taken that on to relationships where I've yeah. said, "Look, I'm all in. Are you all in? Give me an answer yeah. right now." Yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen the damage that I think I've done when I've yeah. expected people to be quicker than yeah. they can be. Because it's like uh, friendships are like um, school dances, aren't they? There are. <laughs> I, I look. I I didn't go to my school dance, so enlighten me. <laughs> oh well, like there's that awkwardness at the start, but then you see someone and you kind of the guys slowly approach the girls, and the girls kind of slowly approach the guys, and there's that kind of ritual of oh, should I ask? Should I not ask? And as you start asking for a dance you kind of go into more less intimate and then you you slowly go into circles of intimacy um and as a christian healthy intimacy as well i might add one bible length away um but um it's that that image of friendship going you you start off kind of tackling areas that might not be intimate and then you go slow circles of approaching intimacy that that a near dance of getting closer to one another instead of if you jump straight in then people are expecting um a lot and get stressed Mm. have you had i mean you're older and wiser than i um (laughs) (laughs) did you have some experiences um of of the, the quick and the slow? I think so. I think so. There were periods of my life where I jumped... I really, really wanted friendships. And so I jumped into friendships really, really quickly um, without knowing and the other person kind of feeling intimidated and I didn't know that they were intimidated. Whereas there were other seasons of life where it was okay to just do shallow stuff together. And that was a really good friendship. So I think there are friends for seasons. Um, mm. But also I remember going to Bible college and since everyone was already jumping in quite deeply uh, into stuff, friendships just grew um, at quite a deep level very, very quickly. And people had to learn very quickly also how to give each other space. So it's it's been a bit of a journey of thinking through that. So tell me, Reese, you now work as an apprentice, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in my second year. Second year apprentice, uh, a ministry apprentice, learning how to um, how to uh, be a ministry worker in a different setting. Tell us a little mm. bit about that, because you have to navigate between friendship and people you serve as well. Mm. I think one of the biggest shocks, especially... Like, it did take a lot of courage to do this ministry apprenticeship because I am such an introvert and talking to people, especially new people and large groups of people, is 
just like it kind of just drains my soul sometimes um and so i jumping into the first year of the traineeship i just found at the end of each day i was completely because mm, you'll be chatting with so many people yeah and i think i found myself wanting to rely on my friends for just that simple comfort right um i a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. Like during your down times. Yeah. And yeah. I, I did want my down times to, like, I felt like I gave everything to my day and I had nothing left to give um, my personal friendships. Yeah. And and so I did just want to take, and I, I did feel um, that time was hard because I did want more than I think my friends could give. Yeah. And how have you kind of developed resilience in that now? Or are you still um, trying to figure that out? Yeah, still still getting there. But I think one of the biggest lessons that I've started to learn is, you know, I, I think I found myself with a lot of quiet bitterness. And I think that caused a lot of rift between some other close friends. I think I was, like, I saw myself... I saw myself as yeah. as the person who invested a lot and gave a lot. And when I didn't get that return, I did feel like the friendship was insincere and right. I did feel taken advantage of. Um, and processing myself and my own kind of vulnerability and pride and selfishness and actually talking openly with my friends was a super important lesson because I did kind of just bottle it up. Um, but it has been so refreshing to know that my friends, like like your friend, they have said, yes, I still want to be friends. I still want to work at this. And it has been so good to have that in the open. Yeah, yeah. And I get to ask for forgiveness and so do they and we get to. Yeah. And tell me, with the relationships that you've made uh, in uh, your ministry apprenticeship, is there a difference between them and the close friends that you have? Would you call the people that you serve friends? Yeah, look, I found that line especially hard to deal with. And especially because I am still, you know, only sometimes five or six years um between some of the people that i work with or sometimes only two or three years and i have found putting some boundaries in place um because i've been thinking about the end of this year when i finish my apprenticeship um what are what are the people going to think when i kind of leave my work are they are they losing a friend or are they losing uh someone a worker a worker and I've actually, yeah. yeah, struggled with that and I'm still not sure what that looks like because um, I do like to build those close relationships where people can be honest and I can, I can give them the truth, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? That, that fine line between ministry worker and friend uh, mm. in this day and age um, so tell me, where's what's next? What's next in the life of Reese after this apprenticeship? 
I wish I wish you had the answer to that one because <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> I I I have a couple options because um, the, there's been a lot of questions throughout this traineeship for the this kind of this kind of ministry is for me. Yeah, I know I, I still love people and I I want to um, still work amongst young people. Um, but I, I'm not sure yet what that looks like. Whether maybe teaching was a was a better fit or um or if not maybe a few years at something like a bible college would do me do me some good yeah yeah well we don't know do we um about where we go i was just recently chatting with one of my friends fiona who is now in ministry in in serving for a church and i she wouldn't have thought 30 years ago that she would have gone to Bible college as a young, as a mm. young mother, and going into mm. ministry um, thirty years later. But um, mm. I actually, when I think back to when I was young, my dad was a youth leader in church, and me being the uh, proud teenager that I was, I said, "Dad, I know you're an elder, I know you're a youth leader, but I'm never going to go down that track. That's <laughs> definitely not for me." <laughs> and then. I look at my life now and it just was some completely different to what I expected. Yeah, sometimes God is a comedian. So tell me. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've got a last question for you. Um, yeah. What does it mean for God to be a friend? You're a Christian. Well, I actually still remember um, a camp that I went to when I think I was about 16 years old. And they, they preached on John 15. John's describing Jesus' ministry and um, Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, um, this is a friend that, and and one lays down their life for their friends and you are my friends. Mm. Um, yeah, a true friend is one who lays down their life for their friends. Yeah, eh? and that was pretty shocking to me when I was 16 because I didn't see God as a friend. He was more of a big, scary judge sat on his throne and threw lightning bolts at me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah knowing that this is the friendship that he has with me is one that suffers and it and it lays down his life for the benefit of me instead of for himself yeah and i guess it would it takes a lot of courage doesn't it for jesus to do that to step into the garden of Gethsemane to get arrested, the courage to take, to take that cross all the way and the courage to be nailed to the cross for his friends Mm. um, with the huge risk of them potentially forsaking him. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much for your time, Reese. as we've talked about friendship and courage. It's been really refreshing hearing from someone young and um, in a different <laughs> stage in life about friendship. And um, we're really looking forward to see where you are going to head in the next couple of years. Yeah, thanks, Sam. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcast or you can join us on podbean.com. 
This is the Conversations with Earl Grey. I'm Sam Wan, and I'm looking forward to seeing you another week.